0: I wonder if anyone here has had one of those moments where you've just gone, what on earth do I do now? Right, okay, there's smiles, all right, there's some fond memories there, all right, some serious ones too, no doubt. But what do I do now moments? I had one such moment... Jen and I did this thing called a red-eye flight. Who's done one of those? When you travel from the west to the east, more often than not, you get these red eyes. And a red eye basically means you leave at some unimaginable time of the night and then try to sleep on a plane and miraculously wake up fully refreshed and finding yourself on the other side of the country at 6.30 in the morning never works out that way. It's like, uh, uh, here's my ticket, you know, where's my bag? You know, it never never turns out well. And Jen and I went from Perth to Sydney for a flight. Landed, we hired a car, all going well. We were going to meet some friends just north, a little place called Crescent Head, north of Port Macquarie there. And in an ideal world, if we'd landed at 5.30, 6 o'clock... Jumped in the hire car. We could have, I could have been snoozing at about midday. But in my infinite wisdom, I decided I would actually organize a meeting with a guy at 2 p.m. in Sydney. So we killed a lot of time in shopping centers. And eventually, we go, oh, gee, now we've got to drive up past Portland. We've got a five hour drive ahead of us now. Leaving it at about four in the afternoon, we peak our traffic right ahead of us. Jen's like, how do we get, keep you awake? I wasn't much of a coffee drinker then. I didn't like Red Bull and these sorts of things all that much. I did like my Coca-Cola a little bit too much. So I told Jen, would you go get me a bottle of Coke? And she's gone, yeah, I'm up for that. She goes, you don't want Red Bull? I was like, I don't like the taste of Red Bull but I do appreciate B vitamins. She's going, what are you thinking? I said, well, give me some Coke and give me some Baraka. True story. Jen thinks I'm just going to get water or something like that. I take the lid off like I've just done. She looks at me. We're in a little high-end I guess. She feels like there's an arm arms width between us, right? She looks at me and goes She looks at me with that what are you thinking look. I look back at her with oh this is happening sort of look. And I proceed to go crazy with the barocca, go your hardest. I only put a quarter in that just to actually give a mild view of what really happened on the day. As you can imagine, now, what I didn't tell you, one, I put more than the quarter in. Two, it was a 500ml bottle, so it exploded. (laughs) I was already in gear and driving on Pennant Hills Road. In Sydney when I did it. This landed in my lap. Two minutes later was scrambled to a service station. I'm down on my underwear, which is covered in coke, and I'm trying to work out how to get this nasty, sticky stain off the dashboard. What do I do now? The scriptures tell a lot of stories of people saying, what do I do now? Because they, like us, have had times where they have been in those places where they've been well over their heads at times. What we're about to read today is actually a story of one of those instances. One of those, what do I do now instances. One of the biggest names in the Old Testament is in his very unique, special moment right now. And he's become famous the world over throughout all the ages because he handled that moment in the best possible way that even God himself would expect. We know this because the scriptures indicate this. We're going to read the passage together today. The Bible app is open. So the U-Version Bible app features the, uh, this uh, passage and the notes for this message today. But we're going to go through First Kings chapter three. Let's go look at the first 15 verses, just to paint a bit of a backstory picture. This we're going to spend a month looking through Proverbs, but I need a backstory for Proverbs. And this is it today. So let's look at verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1 to 15. It's on screen if you'd like to follow there too. We'll be. There we are, okay. Here we go. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for this was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. You have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child, and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized that it had been a dream. We've been going on a teaching journey this year called Under Construction. And this is based loosely on a New Testament letter from Peter to a group of young churches on what is currently the west coast of Turkey. There's a lot of challenges coming their way. There's the presence of intense persecution outside their ranks and an emerging immoral um, leadership inside of it. But for the most part, this is a faithful people simply looking to live out their faith in Christ as effectively as they can. Peter is an apostle and within his two letters to them, he offers a list of virtues to embrace which would help them get through those challenges. These virtues are then ex- are being explored in order month by month in our series today, and, and um, we have a practical outlet with this model here so far. And uh, we've been looking month by month at a number of different virtues so far. We've been looking at a foundation of faith. We've been looking about a framework of goodness, where we learned about the word integrity, where character and conduct are in unison and as strong as each other. You end up with integrity which is a really great word to use when you want to build a structure around it we then talked about we've begun talking about knowledge and that's what this that's what this back wall is all about now I won't do this now because it's awfully loud but I'll nail those in later we're going to continue to build on to the idea of knowledge and it's more important and it's more mature expression of knowledge is in fact wisdom. We're going to spend the next month completing this wall. So we will all be knowledged up and wisdomed up uh, by the end of of the month of May. And uh, I'm looking forward to what's going to be coming out over the course of this month. When it comes to wisdom, there's one guy in the Old Testament who understood this virtue better than anyone and we've just read about him. We've got Solomon, the third king of Israel here. He's leading the nation in a time considered by historians as Israel's golden age. He's the son of King David. He's got massive shoes to fill here. Although there is some controversy, both with his arrival and his birth and his appointments, it becomes clear in this passage that he actually has the goods to be the best choice of all of David's sons to take on the role. He's spoken of here as a man deeply in love with the Lord. He's adhering to the godly things poured into him by both his mother and his father. And he's leading the nation in worship in the most extravagant way in this passage. If there were news crews and cameras back then, you would find a man on the front row raising his hands in worship, and the nation would actually be blessed by that, would actually look to that with a sense of hope, not the cynicism we've seen in recent weeks. But then the passage goes on to to describe what I believe made him the leader he was called to be. When the thousand sacrifices were offered and burned up and there was only ash remaining. When the cameras were no longer rolling and the story of Gibeon is not being told. When the music stopped playing and he's alone with his thoughts and his feelings and his fears. That's where the real Solomon then gets introduced to us. And when we see the real Solomon standing up, we see a 20-something-year-old who has a lot of power, a lot of spiritual zeal and fervor, but also a whole lot of insecurity and a massive sense of being overwhelmed with what he's been chosen to do. In the space we've just read here, we've seen Solomon at his most self aware So the leaders in both church and society that God can use the most are people who will humbly realize and confess that in life and ministry they are well over their head. Not because they're not prepared, not because they're not educated or fit for the task. Solomon was clearly all those things. But because they are utterly compelled and captured by the enormity of the call of God and their imperfect, chaotic and limited lives. If godly people will get real and bravely stand, or in Solomon's case, lie before God, and ask, what do I do now? It's actually pretty amazing what God will reveal to them in those spaces and what wisdom comes. That's what happens here. God waits until the church service is over and Solomon is left with his reflections and his motives and his thoughts and his fears and his insecurities and all those things. God doesn't appear in front of the thousands of people in front of the thousands of cattle. Doesn't come out of the smoke and go, Solomon. Instead, we read that God appears in a dream. He appears in the quiet place of Solomon's headspace. And in that quiet place where it's just Solomon in that space, God offers a young and impressionable king the deal of a lifetime. Now this is you and me, son. Right now, right this minute, ask me for anything. Have you ever read this and wondered what your answer would be? How honorable would those answers be? Our romantic notions of ourselves believe we'd answer from a good place. But what would our honest answer be to that? God, make all my problems disappear? Pastors would, you know, make my church a million people? What sort of questions will we ask? What sort of answers will we give to that? Well, we don't have to think too much. Instead, we're going to look at how a 20-something who is under intense pressure goes with this. Here's how he responds to God. First, he admits his own limitations. He's a young adult. School's out on exactly how how old he is. He's definitely older than 20. And yet he calls himself a child in the presence of God here. He's actually admitting he has a lot of growing up to do here. He's admitting he has to wear big boy pants. Perhaps a little sooner than he anticipated he would. This is probably a admission we should all make with before God probably every day. I'm happy to say here, I stand before you today as a 44-year-old man with a 30-year faith journey behind me, 20 years of ministry, 18 years of marriage, Bible college degree, part of a master's going on and I freely admit that in Jesus I still have a lot of growing up and learning to do and so do we all. If there's ever a time where we begin to think otherwise, we actually enter dangerous territory. We'll either drop our humility Or we'll start embracing heresies like triumphalism. Or we'll no longer do anything that stretches or teaches us. Admitting our limitations is a great place to start when God wants to do something really amazing in and through us. It's a very wise call to make. When God says ask me anything and you go God there's so many ways I'm not up to this. Really great place to start. Second, we see his true motives being mentioned here. We got to remember something here. It's all this is taking place in the same locality. This is a hotel room down from the church, right? He's just come out of deep, intense public worship. In the company of his fellow people, the nation. When you are in or just coming from a posture of worship, our veneer gets stripped away and all of our motives become more exposed. Sometimes the negative ones. We can become awfully cynical after a minute, after a, after a time of worship. For some reason, we can become quite, you know, jarring. We can be because God is actually doing something in us, and it's checking us, and we can get we can get agitated in how we respond to that. But more often than not, the good things that are in our hearts and the motives of our hearts really come out the more we focus and turn our eyes on Jesus, don't we? The more we keep our eyes on Jesus, the more we behold him, the more we, we get captured by his presence. The good motives of our heart should be coming frothing to the top, right? Because our values and our motives become aligned with the values of Christ. You can't leave God's presence without being exposed one way or the other. And in this place, we see that Solomon's motives come out really easily. Here's here's his motives. I want to govern your people well. In other words, better than I currently know. I want to distinguish ever so clearly between right and wrong. More clearly, and God clarifies this in his response, Solomon is seeking here to be an agent of true godly justice. And over all this, he says, I want a discerning heart. This is an important word to grasp here. It actually means to listen. I want a heart that listens. The overall picture is this. I'm in over my head. I have a lot to learn. I have a massive calling to live up to. I have justice to be mindful in mindful of in all that I do. And I'm not running from it. I'm not seeking the outcome without the process. He's not asking for all the problems to disappear. He's not looking for the path of least work or resistance. Instead, he's saying, I'm seeking all the skills necessary in order that I may listen to God more readily and faithfully and do what is right. And, friends, this is the story of how godly wisdom is birthed in a young godly man. These three things pave the way for the beginning of wisdom in Solomon's life. One commentator actually says that for the people of the time, Solomon became to them wisdom in human form, the embodiment of wisdom. I'm going to tie all this together with a backstory now that takes us into the book of Proverbs. Solomon's the guy who wrote most of it. By this time, his wisdom is becoming known and he's also becoming aware of his responsibility to pass some of this on. So we're going to read a portion of Proverbs now to get us on that on that journey. And um, for the next four weeks, Proverbs is where we're going to be at and Peter Talbot's going to pick this up next week. But I just want to start with Proverbs uh, chapter 1. Just the first seven verses. and I'm going to tie it in with what we've just read already here today. Proverbs 1, verses 1 to 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is a collection of writings for his son to take on board. And wisdom is the one thing that Solomon wants the reader to take away from all this. And as we see this section come to life, we actually see the wisdom described here has a lot of similarity to the same thing that he asked back in the day. The similarities between what he asked for and the conversation he had with God and what he is prescribing here are uncanny. Wisdom is again shown as the source of all that is right, fair and just. Solomon wanted to be this sort of person in how he governed. He wanted to make these his motivation. And he wants these to be traits in generations to come. Wisdom is again shown to be the edge for the the simple and the young. Solomon said at the start that he had a lot to learn, he was limited. And his readers are to understand this about themselves also. Wisdom is again shown to be something that is received by a listening heart. A wise person has an internal makeup that takes a seat in God's presence before taking a seat in the position or power they hold. And in that important seat, they listen and they hear what wisdom says but wait there's more we actually see here that reverent awe in the presence of god is where it all starts when we see the word fear that is in play here in both passages Solomon responded with a healthy fear of the Lord, a reverent awe of God's presence. Solomon's wisdom came from a time of reverent awe in God's presence. So when God came knocking and goes, Solomon, I'm here, I'm in your dream, I'm wanting to engage with you, he's already in that place of awe and he's ready to receive the right way. And then he calls his son, Rehoboam. And readers for generations to come. If you want to listen to God, if you want your motives to be checked, if you want to go beyond what your limitations can do, if you want the wisdom that takes you beyond where you're at now, then come before God front and center in reverence. And I believe this applies to both God's presence as well as God's calling. We approach both of those with this same degree of fear. In God's presence and call, there is a sense of awe and reverence. In Solomon's case, he recognizes this and he asks for good things. In reverent awe, he sees God as a source of what he needs for effective and just governance and leadership. In reverent awe, he doesn't see God as a genie in a bottle. That's important to see there. God goes, ask me anything. And he goes, I want to do the things that matter to you. Not rub the genie and make all my money come and all my problems go. Wisdom doesn't do that. Wisdom gets us through those things. It doesn't take them away. In reverent awe, he embraces what he is being ordained to do. Counting on the wisdom of God to carry him through the times where his strength and knowledge alone is not going to get it done. Wisdom, friends. Seek wisdom. I'm looking forward to what God is going to say in the remaining weeks, but for now, I've just got three people, groups of people that I believe God wants to speak to today. in the Bible app notes, actually says, are you one of those three people and what are you going to do about this? First one, there are those who have correctly identified that wisdom is something they need. They've got some real challenges going on in life right now. But here's the twist I believe God wants to actually highlight to you today. Some people perhaps in this room, perhaps on video, are looking for wisdom
1: in all the wrong places.
0: I don't know the specifics of this, but God does. And he's calling some of us here today to come front and center with reverent awe and look to him for those things you're needing right now. There's lots of other things that call itself wisdom, but God is calling us away from those things because some of those things are doing us harm. And God's calling us, going, I've got what you need. Stop looking over these things. Look in the center and look at me. For you, this is a call to realize that true wisdom comes with a heart
1: that listens to God. not the other voices or sources first.
0: Some of us are looking for wisdom in the wrong places. There's others of us here who are wanting wisdom to do the wrong things. Wisdom and poor motives do not work well together. Because wisdom will steer us away and actually check our motives. Wisdom and quick solutions that skip steps of an ordained process doesn't work either. If God is calling you to do something and it's looking like it's going to be a little bit difficult, wisdom doesn't skip the steps. Wisdom walks you through them. We learn here that Solomon, in his seeking wisdom, actually sought after greater and more noble things. And when we come front and center before God and He says, ask me what you want, whatever things are pure, lovely, praiseworthy, those are the things where wisdom comes out best. Wisdom doesn't necessarily bring wealth or fame. Wisdom doesn't necessarily mean all our problems go away. Wisdom does look for what is right and it does look for what is fair and just in all situations. When we ask for wisdom from God, What are we wanting to do with that when it comes? Do our motives need to change in any way? Some of us are looking for wisdom in the wrong places. Some of us are wanting wisdom for the wrong things. And there's a third group here, and this is a curveball. God is wanting me to ask this. Are we living in such a way where we don't even need God's wisdom.
1: It's possible to do, and it is deeply dangerous if we do. Godly wisdom only has power when we're in a place that actually needs it.
0: And I have a fear that some in the room this morning may be living nowhere near that place. Some of us are not being stretched or challenged. Some are not putting ourselves into deeper situations where they need to learn new things. Some are so sheltered from things that they don't even need to discern right from wrong anymore.
1: Some are not pursuing the things that God has actually ordained for them. some here today
0: have, had, have not actually had the privilege of asking themselves and God, what do I do
1: now? That is a privileged position to be in. What do I do now, God? Because that's an opportunity for God to move in us and to bring wisdom to us for those things. If we live in such a way that we don't need God's wisdom, what are we doing?
0: Can I invite you into deeper water this morning? Can I invite you into more involved ministry? Can I encourage deeper study? Can I point you to people and teams who are deeper over their head than they need to be because others haven't jumped in with them? Can I invite you to a place where we actually need the wisdom of God in our lives? If you're getting tired of coasting along and looking for something that might fit the bill, I have some pretty deep and exciting suggestions right now. Can I have a coffee with some of you and literally offload some of the ministries on my shoulders right now that you're being ordained to carry instead? Wisdom calls me to deep things, and it's amazing. But it also calls for me not to get in so much that my feet aren't touching the bottom anymore. And I know people around us may well be doing that right now. Right now, if I'm honest with you, I'm in the middle of a what-do-I-do-now time. There are some really interesting Significant challenges in our congregation right now. This isn't even a dirty laundry thing. This is actually exciting times. Our church congregation has gotten larger. The number of faces that you and I don't always know every week is an ongoing thing. We have segments of our community that need us to be closer connected to them at this time. There are ministries that are looking, got their hand up going, please help. And I believe God is ordaining the need, the answer to the need in this room. If we will be stretched, we will find the wisdom of God and we'll actually find that we're the ones actually called to fill that gap. Wisdom tells me to put a public call out to you. I'm looking for the next missions coordinator for the church. I'm looking for more kids workers. I'm looking for youth stuff. I'm looking for for people to come alongside in young adults ministry. Wisdom goes, Cam, you're in over your head. Wisdom says, speak out. Maybe God is actually saying, you know what, it's time for you to step into something deeper, something more involved, something more, well, in need of me. If we're coasting along, maybe it's because we we've come to this place where we just don't, we're not being challenged anymore or stretched. If we no longer need the wisdom of God, then maybe God is calling you to step further into what you're doing in your faith. We're going to come around the communion
1: table in one moment. But I want those
0: three groups of people to stop and reflect first. Those looking for wisdom in the wrong places, let's turn our eyes on Jesus today. Those wanting wisdom to do the wrong things, turn your eyes on Jesus. Get our motives checked. And those of us who have gone, you know what? I haven't even needed it. God needs to stretch me to put me in a place where I do. Let's get that right. Turn your eyes upon Jesus today. I'm going to pause for one moment. If Jesus wants to speak to you and address that, let's do that right now. And then I'll speak into the communion table. But let's just, let's just bow our heads in prayer for
1: a moment.